1: I found that thinking about fungi and studying fungi makes the world look different.
2: Without them, a lot of plants and trees actually couldn't survive in the environments that we're planting them in. They wouldn't be able to take up the nutrition that they actually require without the association of the fungi.
1: Fungi live their lives enmeshed in their environment. Unlike animals, which find food and put it inside their bodies to digest it, fungi put their bodies inside their food. And it's- An incredible
3: feeling, I assure you, whenever you have your logs productive around your garden, and you can pick up your fresh mushrooms.
4: Like plants and animals, fungi make up a kingdom all of their own. It's a mind-bendingly complex and fascinating world of mushrooms, moulds, mildews and mycelia, and it's a kingdom that's all too often overlooked. They're more similar to animals than plants, and they grow in almost every ecosystem, surviving in the most barren conditions, such as on sand dunes, or glaciers, or even in toxic wastelands. So, of course, in our gardens, they're everywhere. It's just mind-blowing that in a teaspoon of soil, you might be looking at over a hundred different species of fungi, and their thread-like hyphae within that teaspoon could cover between 100 and 10,000 meters if you fully unravelled it. And you've got the good, you've got things like saprotrophic fungi which decompose dead organic material and the mycorrhizal fungi which extend the root area of your plants, you've got tasty ones like shiitake or portobello or oyster mushrooms and of course you have a few baddies as well, dare I say honey fungus. This Saturday the 7th of October is UK Fungus Day and so for this week's show we're exploring the many fascinating faces of fungi we're taking a tour of RHS Wisley's fungus garden. We're journeying back in time with biologist Merlin Sheldrake to investigate our historical uses of these organisms. We're chatting about three easy ways you can grow your own edible mushrooms. And finally, we're returning to Wisley to get an update on the science team's honey fungus research. You're listening to Gardening with the RHS with me, Gareth Richards. A few weeks ago my fellow podcast presenter Guy Barter visited Wisley's Fungus Garden with plant pathologist Ruth Chitty to get an update on how their mushrooms are doing a year after inoculation.
5: It's a lovely early autumn day with lots of sunshine, a very light breeze and we're standing in the woodlands at Wisley and this is a special garden in the woodlands at Wisley that's called the Fungus Garden. And as you might guess, it's a garden that's laid out to promote fungi. So we're going to talk fungi with Dr. Ruth Chitty of the RHS plant health team. So speaking of fungi, what fungi can we see here?
2: So we have on some of these birch logs, we have some turkey tail, named because they've got these beautiful color transitions on a sort of shelf-like fungus that makes it look like a turkey tail. We also have some birch polypore growing out of the dead um, birch logs. It looks almost a bit like a hoof, um, but it's not quite the hoof fungus. And we have just unfortunately missed the wine caps that were growing in the wood chip, but some fantastic fungi out on show.
5: And didn't you give these fungi a bit of a kickstart by inoculating them?
2: Yes, so majority of what you can see here was actually inoculated and placed into the garden. It would have taken a while for it to grow naturally, so we've given it a bit of a kickstart through multiple different inoculation methods on show in this garden. So we have inoculated wood chip where the wine caps have grown from, but then we've also got bags of straw where we were hoping that we'd have some oyster mushrooms which are a good edible variety and then we also have some dead logs that were inoculated using spawned dowel so that's hopefully allowed more fungi to grow and hopefully will encourage others to grow. Inoculating with fungi is sort of a scientific way of saying that we infected all different substrate with the fungal mycelium, so the thread-like bits of the fungus that you don't normally see because it's underground. We had the dowels and straw inoculated with that, and then hopefully the temperatures and the environmental conditions then allow for the fruit bodies to appear, which is what people normally see.
5: What are the fungi feeding on? Because if you ever chewed the end of your pencil, you know that wood isn't terribly nutritious. How do they exist on timber?
2: So it all comes down to the mycelium, which is the underground network, the almost invisible network that's actually behind the fruit bodies that we're seeing. And these thin thread-like structures go through the wood or through the soil and they release chemicals and enzymes that break down the wood to nutrients that the fungus can then use. This actually then leads on to the fungal um, associations with other plants so different fungi can form relationships with trees and with other plants that are mutually beneficial so they can exchange nutrients um, and sugars between each other.
5: So what do the trees get out of it? I mean, we know the fungi get some sugar, but what do the trees get out of it?
2: So the trees get an increased area that their roots can reach to because this fungi can allow the roots to reach further away water. Also with the breakdown that can provide nitrogen and phosphorus that the plant itself can't always naturally make. And there's just multiple different benefits to having fungi in the garden, not just that some of the mushrooms that you see are absolutely incredible and beautiful, different colors, different shapes, different sizes, and add a slightly different texture to the garden, but they also, Without the specific type of um, fungi that break down dead material, we'd be drowning in dead wood, dead plant material, um, because it naturally doesn't biodegrade well. It, you need chemicals, you need the enzymes of these fungi to actually break it down. And there's just other groups of fungi. You've got your mycorrhiza; They're the ones that give the mutualistic relationship between plants and trees and the fungi. Without them, a lot of plants and trees actually couldn't survive in the environments that we're planting them in. They wouldn't be able to take up the nutrition that they actually require without the association of the fungi. So yeah, absolutely tons of garden benefits for having these um, fungi present.
5: What would you say to all those um, RHS members and other gardeners who spend a lot of time each year brushing up and sweeping up and generally getting rid of toadstools?
2: you can as i understand that rhs members and stuff have children and they have pets that they're worried about eating them we would rather that they were left in place than natural part of the ecosystem and disturbing them isn't always beneficial but if you don't like the look of them if you're worried about your pets or your children we say to just remove them and to place them under a hedgerow so that other wildlife can enjoy them and they can still continue to spread their spores mushrooms can be home and food for multiple different species including insects and also your mammals so they are an important part of our ecosystem if you're worried about handling mushrooms or you're worried about toxicity about eating them mushrooms can't poison you just by handling them you have to eat the actual fruit body so if you just want to pick them up and then wash your hands afterwards you'll be absolutely fine
5: and if anyone feels peckish and the fancies trying mushrooms and toadstools that they find growing around the place do be careful Um, Make sure that uh, you only eat mushrooms and toastals that you're absolutely sure you've identified because some will do you a mischief. And um, as Dr Chitty says, don't munch on a hunch.
2: Even the edible ones can affect people differently and can have interactions with substances such as alcohol. So really be careful even with the edibles.
5: A few weeks ago, we put out a podcast episode about soils. And one of the things we mentioned was the many beneficial effects that fungi have on soils. Ruth, can you tell us a bit more about that?
2: Oh, fungi are fantastic in soils. So it again goes all back to their mycelium. This is what's present in the soil. Your saprotrophs, your breaking down fungi, they break down the organic matter in your soil and they release nutrients that your plants wouldn't be able to access if they weren't present gluing the soil together if you've got relatively loose soil unfortunately the one disadvantage of this is you can sometimes get a mycelium mat but this is easily rectified with gentle forking over it's nothing to be concerned about and um, the additional benefits they're adding far outweigh forking over your soil
5: Does all these tons of benefits explain why you've made this fungus garden?
2: We want in the RHS gardens people to see that we are embracing fungi, we are celebrating it and we want to show all the fantastic benefits of them and for people to see how they can also replicate it in their own gardens.
4: Thanks there to Ruth and Guy. Wisley's Fungus Garden is located in the woodlands behind Hilltop, so be sure to check it out next time you visit. As Ruth discussed, our plants are often dependent on fungi for their survival. Without things like mycorrhizal fungi, they wouldn't have access to all the nutrients and water they need to thrive. But plants aren't the only ones who rely on fungi. These organisms have shaped human lives too. In 2020, biologist Merlin Sheldrake released Entangled Life, how fungi make our worlds, change our minds and shape our futures. And we spoke to him about the many ways that we've utilized this kingdom of organisms throughout human history.
1: Fungi are a kingdom of life. So they're as broad and busy a category as animals or plants. Um, And there are many ways to be a fungus. Fungi range from single-celled yeasts, which we're familiar with from baking or from brewing, and they range um, through to some of the largest organisms in the world as these big uh, networks, which we call mycelium, branching fusing networks of tubular cells, which is how most fungi live most of their lives. We think there are between 2.2 and 3.8 million species, over 90% of which remain undescribed. So human history with fungi goes back a very long time, indeed um, long before we were human. Many animals eat mushrooms and depend on mushrooms as a source of food, Um, as we know from truffles and the way that truffles are attracted to uh, dogs or pigs but also to squirrels and shrews and mice. And many non-human primates consume mushrooms as a source of food. So we've been using mushrooms, no doubt for a very long time, as, as a nutritional resource and also as medicinal ones. There are some um, well-preserved bodies from thousands of years ago, one in particular called the Iceman, a Neolithic corpse found in glacial ice, in Austria, in the Austrian Alps. And when the Iceman died about 7,000 years ago, um, he was carrying with him some of a mushroom called amadou, or the tinder fungus, which people have used to carry a coal. And to be able to carry fire or the, or the source of fire around with you, obviously, is a very important thing to do, um, a life-maintaining thing to do. And so he was carrying this well-prepared tinder, tinder fungus. He was also carrying with him some prepared birch podipore mushrooms which you probably use as a medicine to treat parasites or, or or similar and so this implies that knowledge of fungi as, as medicines and as, as other technologies stretch back a very long way and since then uh, humans have used fungi for all sorts of things um, penicillin is a very famous example and 1928 Alexander Fleming discovered that certain species of, of fungus could produce a compound that could kill bacteria uh, and this became the first antibiotic and transformed the course of modern medicine today there are many drugs that are produced by fungi or at least were originally produced by fungi Cyclosporin is one a drug that makes organ transplants possible um, statins are another the blockbuster anti-cancer drug taxol um, produced by fungi that live in the u needles and um, it's a very long list and um, then of course there's foods. Uh, there are um, misos, which are made from a fungus digesting grains and beans, and alcohol uh, produced by a yeast, as the yeast transforms sugars. And of course bread, which is made to rise by yeast, and um, many of the enzymes used in industry. So um, fungi have been shaping our lives for a very long time and will no doubt continue to do so. I found that thinking about fungi and studying fungi makes the world look different. Fungi live their lives enmeshed in their environment. They have to, unlike animals which find food and put it inside their bodies to digest it, fungi put their bodies inside their food. And to do that they have to have this shape-shifting form. They can't have any stable body plan in the way that humans or other animals do. And because of this they have to be able to um, you no, know, thicken in one part of the network, prune themselves in another part, and they—they're um, constantly um, revising their shape. And in doing so, they have to coordinate themselves in ways that are puzzling to us. We have very determinate body plans, and we have centralized bodies. We have heads, and we have hearts, and we design our our social systems to reflect um, our centralized bodies, we have capital cities, we have heads of state, um, but fungi don't have these places, these localised places where they based all their coordination. They coordinate themselves, but they coordinate themselves a little bit everywhere at once and nowhere in particular. And this I find fascinating and thinking about these, these centralised lives has uh, really coaxed me out of some of my uh, well-worn patterns of thought and my human
4: habits. That was merlin sheldrake entangled life for me was one of those books that changes the way you think about the world he tells this amazing story about how they were doing some tests on slime molds and fungal intelligence and they built like a map of tokyo so they would they put food sources where population centers are in tokyo and they put obstacles like we would have human obstacles they've got obstacles to the fungi things they couldn't grow through and they inoculated it with slime moulds and the slime moulds grew in a pattern between the food sources, the equivalent of the population centres. And it made an almost exact replica of the Tokyo subway system. And that was just, you know, absolutely mind blowing that something that doesn't have a brain in a way that we would consider to be a brain could work out this complex problem. And it's, it's a fascinating book and I think anyone with an interest in fungi should read it. So we've included a link to it in our show notes and check it out. And as Merlin discussed, humans have used edible macro fungi, what we would know as mushrooms, as a source of nutrition and medicine for as long as we've been human, really. And these fleshy, edible fruiting bodies can be delicious. And sometimes they're so prized that we've set up elaborate hunting operations to find them in the wild. I mean, think of truffles, for example. But of course, there's a simpler and safer way to harvest your own edible mushrooms, which is grow your own so next up alessandro Vitali, known as spicy moustache online is going to share three easy ways to grow mushrooms outside
3: so today i'm going to explain to you why you should start growing mushrooms outdoor as it's an incredible way to maximize your food production but also having fun in the garden growing something that is a bit unusual I started for the first time growing mushrooms outdoor roughly one or two years ago. And it's an incredible feeling to not only growing vegetables and flowers in your garden, but having this extra production in between your existing plants. So you really use every single inch of your available space. There are a lot of different ways to grow mushrooms outdoor, but today what I'm going to cover is to grow them on logs, grow them on raised beds or in buckets. You could start by having logs around your garden, which is absolutely easy because you can just use these inoculated dowels. So with a drill, you basically drill in a diamond shape over your log and then you can fit in this inoculated dowel. I usually did that with shiitake mushrooms and once this is done you can just melt some soy wax and seal completely every single hole including any part that is broken, the end and beginning of the log. Sealing all the holes with wax, it's an important step just because you avoid having cross-contamination of uh, other kind of mycelium or mold getting into those holes and dowels that you just applied to your logs. And it could be placed in a shaded area of your garden, which means probably an area that is not even productive, or the sitting area where you used to spend the quiet time, chill time in your garden, in your growing space. And after about 12 months, that log should start producing. And what you need to do to help the production of shiitake mushrooms is to grab a mallet or a similar thing and smack it really hard on top of the log and that reproduces the same effect as a falling tree in the forest and that's a sign for the mycelium to start producing the mushroom. And it's an incredible feeling, I assure you, whenever you have your logs productive around your garden and you can pick up your fresh mushrooms. Another way of growing mushrooms is to do it on a raised bed. And I tend to do it in almost every single raised bed around my garden. You can do that by using straw, which acts not only as a substrate to grow your mushrooms, but it's an incredible source of mulch that retains water and protects soil microorganisms. And what I do is to order this spawn I use a combination of oyster mushrooms in a few raised beds and wine cups in other raised beds. Wine cups have symbiotic properties, which means they even help your plants around your garden to thrive even better. And what you need to do is to simply layer on top of your soil, straw and this spawn broken down, and then again, straw and do this sort of lasagna layering. And once you get to the last layer, you just need to cover it with straw. The content of moisture in this uh, substrate needs to be always high. To understand if it's moist or not, just touch it with your hand, put your hand in, and then you can tell if the substrate is still moist enough for the mushroom to thrive. And It's an incredible way to improve the quality of your plants if you're using wine cups, but at the same time, filling up the spaces, the empty spaces where you don't have plants, but you can have mushrooms growing. Another way would be to grow mushrooms in buckets, and that's absolutely easy. You can grab even an old pot, that's uh, what I did in my garden. I drilled all around it and then I basically did a mix of spawn and straw. I literally did the same thing as in raised beds, so I layered it on a sort of uh, lasagna layers. And then I mixed with my hands until I was entirely sure that it was mixed well throughout. And once that's done, you can just press with your hands to make sure that like it's compact inside the pot or the bucket that you decided to use. And uh, keep it moist all the times. So either lift the bucket so you can tell if it's still retaining that moisture or not, or with your hands you can touch and see if there is enough water still inside. And in a few months, depending on the amount of spawn that you add, you will have production from this bucket, from the holes that you drilled around it. The reason why I use straw as a substrate is just because that's one of the easiest things for me to source. But you could also use grains or a mix of straw and coffee grounds. There are lots of expert growers around the world growing mushrooms in the most bizarre ways if you want to call it like that. It's all about getting the right ratio in the mix and having something that has been tested before and it actually works. The main reason why I love growing mushrooms is mainly because they are different from plants. They react differently to weather and uh, moisture, but also they are delicious to use in the kitchen. And again, it's it's an extra production with minimal work. Like the maintenance for mushrooms, it's really minimal care well, other than water and you don't need to do anything else. And uh, that's another reason why I really love, like, growing lots of different varieties in
1: the garden.
4: This past year, Alessandro wrote Rebel Gardening, a beginner's handbook to organic urban gardening. In it, he goes into detail about how to best grow edible mushrooms. And you can find a link in the show notes. And just a quick note on what Alessandro talked about. You can inoculate your substrate, as in sow your spawn, at any point during the year, but the results will be a bit slower during the colder months. So far today, we've explored many reasons to celebrate fungi, as they're absolutely essential to the success of our gardens and ecosystems as a whole. But of course, they do pose certain risks as well. Things like armillaria, commonly known as the dreaded honey fungus, can infect, harm and even kill beloved garden plants. At the RHS, there's all sorts of research going on to look at how this happens and what we can do to prevent it. So let's go back to Ruth and Guy to get an update.
5: Well, we come inside now to the pathology laboratory or the mycology laboratory. I'm not sure what to properly call it. It's here in the beautiful new hilltop building and it's a brand spanking new lab full of all sorts of lovely things, centrifuges, incubators, cabinets, micro dilutors all the usual paraphernalia of a microbiology lab and Ruth is standing beside a a load of cultures of fungi that she's actually grown on plates of agar and jam jars or kilner jars full of what looks like rye grains. And she's gonna tell us all about the culturing that goes on in this lab.
2: So these fungal cultures in front of us some of these plates are honey fungus. So honey fungus on plates has a really unusual look. It has these thread-like growths out into the agar. And this is what gardeners commonly see is the bootstraps, the bootlaces, but it's growing in the agar. So these are all the honey fungus that we grow for different research. Jassy, who I'm currently covering on maternity, she's very into our malaria and looking at whether the saprotrophic, the dead material decaying fungi, whether their presence can cause our malaria infections to be decreased. So that's currently being researched in this lab. And we also just have jars of rye grain, as Guy correctly identified, with fungal mycelium growing through it. This white growth is the mycelium. And this is to get ready to inoculate different material for the garden that we've just come from so that other species of fungi um, can be introduced to it.
5: What's the ultimate goal of the RHS mycology research?
2: So firstly, we want to investigate whether there's honey fungus-resistant plants and whether they can be bred so that they can be placed into gardens and then you're not going to see the devastating consequences of a honey fungus infection. We also want to investigate mushrooms. There's so many different species and they have so many different uses. As humans, we've used them for thousands of years and they have chemicals that could be quite interesting so we want to be investigating um, the use of different fungi that might release different chemicals that could potentially be slowing down or blocking honey fungus infections or increasing a plant's chance at defending itself against the honey fungus infection. There's multiple different uses that mushrooms could be used for and we are interested in that so hence why we want to be um, isolating and keeping cultures of these different mushroom species
5: so ruth gardeners listening at home will have questions i think what are the take-home messages for them about fungi in their gardens
2: firstly fungi in your garden isn't the death sentence that you might think it is it could be a fantastic benefit to your garden A lot of these species of fungi can be giving your garden extra nutrition, your plants a boost in water uptake. So their presence is actually a fantastic sign in your garden. In a world where we're seeing huge biodiversity loss, encouraging and allowing these mushrooms to grow is fantastic. They offer homes, they offer food to different species of animal, and we should be encouraging this mainly fungi are beautiful they offer multiple different colors to the environment and shapes and sizes and they're fantastic addition to any garden
5: thank you very much Ruth for sparing time from your research I can see you're extremely busy but you've really enjoyed hearing all your expertise and your plans so thank you
2: thank you I just love the opportunity to talk about mushrooms and fungi so thank you
4: Honey fungus can be a bit of a heartbreaking problem to have in your garden because suddenly, you know, one of your favorite, quite well-established plants might suddenly begin to die back. You might lose branches. You might lose the whole thing. Sometimes you will get things failing to flower or conversely, sometimes you'll get a really, really heavy crop of flowers on a plant that looks a little bit under par. Sometimes it happens with fruit trees that you'll get a really heavy crop of fruit on a plant that's not looking all that healthy. Sometimes you get premature autumn colour, which is quite pertinent as well at this time of year. So if this is happening, take a look at the roots, take a look at the base of the plant. And if if the bark comes away quite easily and there's sort of papery white material underneath it, and have a look at the roots as well. If you've got little like black bootlaces coming out, that's a really sure sign you've got honey fungus. And the only thing you can do is dig it up. Dig the plant up and dispose of it safely so that means don't put it on your compost heap put it in your council waste bin take it to the tip and do it through municipal composting because that will get hot enough to kill it off and then replant with less susceptible things there are brilliant lists on the rhs website so some things that don't tend to get honey fungus are things like bamboos heather ginkgo salvias garriers but yeah as i say there's lots of information available on the rhs website well that's it on fungus I hope this episode has been everything you mushroom lovers could have hoped and dreamt for. On the RHS website, as I said, we've got tons of material on fungi. We go into the ecosystem benefits of a variety of species, give advice for dealing with parasitic fungi, chat about the ways to cultivate your own mushrooms at home and much, much more. And recently, Ruth wrote a lovely article, 10 Fun Facts About Fungi, which you can check out in our show notes. Before you go. Just a quick note, if you've got a burning question you want answered on the show, we have an RHS podcast email address where you can send your inquiries. Simply podcast at rhs.org.uk. Again, that's podcast at rhs.org.uk. That's all for now. So from me, Gareth Richards, goodbye and thanks for listening.